Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Ron Perti Show. Hey everybody, welcome to this, the Christmas edition of the Ron Perti Show. This is a new thing. Okay, I'm recording this part ahead of time. A little inside baseball. This is how the sausage is made, kids. Um, be sure to put plenty of ketchup. But this is the best of uh, what you're about to hear. Uh, there's a couple of interviews that I really think I knocked out of the park. And I am completely vain. So I feel that I have to uh, uh, really showcase these and uh, show the world that this is the best of Ron. Now, are these the best interviews I've done? No, they're not. The problem is, not only are you listening to this on a podcast... But, but, you're also listening to this possibly over FCC-regulated airwaves. And if that's the case, a lot of my interviews would have to be cut dramatically for you to be able to listen to them. And, uh, whew, I had to cut a ton out of the first interview that's coming up here in a minute. Um, but that uh, is the price you pay for getting comfortable with your guests and letting them just kind of open up and flow. Um, it also doesn't hurt that her last name was Carlin and the fact that she didn't curse all that much um, was not shocking, but helpful. So I didn't have to do too much cutting, but usually... Um, before this became a part of the Pacifica Radio Network, um, I would uh, just let them flow. Uh, curse words abound, you know. Oh, that was that was a fun time. But the things you do to get people to listen to your show, well, and I know people are listening in. Uh, in Maui, and I want to thank you all for listening. Um, I want to w wish you a happy Merry Christmas, because I know this is going to be airing there afterwards. But I hope you had a great time uh, with your family, your loved ones, and uh, to those certain people, I hope you had a wonderful time tuning out your loved ones. Um, because if your extended family is anything like mine. Not something you want to experience. I should also tell you, I'm also recording this very late. It's uh, after 11 p.m. Uh, it's almost Christmas Eve. And uh, I kind of just want 2019 to be over with. You know, I just kind of want it, want it done. I'm... Uh, yeah, 
I've had too much too much bad stuff happen. You know, mom was gone for almost sixty days, which is a long time. And she's back in the hospital again for unrelated matter. But gonna miss Christmas. So I'm gonna sit on my couch. I'm gonna watch movies. Maybe play some video games and uh, deal, I suppose. I'm not going to edit out my yawns. I'm not because, you know, I feel like I have to build a relationship with my listeners. And the only way I can do that is be real with you guys. And uh, if you want to contact me in any way to tell me about how horrible I am or to tell me how much you love me or... Um, if you have a question and you think that I could give you sage-like advice, head over to your email machine and email me at show at ron.world. That's show at ron.world. You can also head over to ron.world and you can uh, listen to past episodes. I think the merch button's still there. Uh, you can also um, support the show on Patreon. Um and I think PayPal. I don't know if you want to just send a little something, something over. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, always a good time. Ronda World, always under construction, never stagnant, uh, like our government, which is apparently shutting down like uh, a bad factory. Apparently, our government is the Chrysler plant in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, And if our government is anything like Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, there's going to be a lot of burger joints, a lot of bars, uh, a lot of people who are still upset that the factory closed, even though it's been years and years and years. Uh, You know, that kind of thing. Um But yeah, so there's that. Uh, I suppose I should probably talk about who's on the show. This best of, quote-unquote, of Ron. Um, Neither of these interviews took place this year. Because I was in a rebuilding period for the show. Going through a lot of things. Um, That being said, this... Best of episode features the amazing Kelly Carlin talking about uh, Carlin Home Companion, her book, which is uh, available. Oh, I think it's in paperback at this point. Uh, she hadn't even finished it, or hasn't even been published at the time of this interview. So you can go sh- uh, anywhere. Uh, Amazon, I'm sure, has plenty of copies. Um, so be sure to head over there and pick up a copy. Uh, and then my other guest uh, is Ray Wise. Now, if you don't know who Ray Wise is, what's wrong with you? He was in RoboCop. He was in Twin Peaks 24. Uh, what else? Um, we were talking about the show Reaper. Um, it had gotten picked up by FearNet. Remember FearNet? That was that was pre-Shutter Day days, kids. That's before Joe Bob came back. And I'll, we'll, we'll talk about Joe Bob in just a second. Um, 
but yeah, so I um, talked to him about the show Reaper, where he played the devil, and it got picked up by Fearnet. At the time, I had a good relationship with them, and uh, I got uh, him and, and Linda Blair. Now, the Linda Blair interview, I'm not going to ever repost because that got so weird. And I appreciate the fact that she is uh, uh, big into dog rescue. I love that. I love that about her. However, it seems like you can't talk to her about anything else anymore. And that kind of was a bummer. But I can still say I got to talk to Regan. Regan, however you want to say her name. Depends on where you live. Your pronunciation, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, but Ray Wise is one of those actors. You put his name into a TiVo and it explodes. And I mentioned that to him, that he, he blew up my TiVo. My poor TiVo. I don't really have a TiVo. I've never had a TiVo. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I prefer my DVR. So. There's that. Uh, and this is actually the interview. One of the interviews that got me a lot of attention. Because um, he mentioned that he had spoken to David Lynch. About a season three of Twin Peaks. And then, lo and behold, we had season three of Twin Peaks. So, bum, bum, bum. Um, that's a lot of fun. Now, let's let's pivot. This is the worst segue ever. But let's pivot a little bit. And talk about the one thing that kept me going through all this crap. Thanksgiving, no Thanksgiving, just just a horrible day. What did I do? Watch Dinners with Death with Joe Bob Briggs. Christmas, aiming to be the same, what did I do? Watched a very Joe Bob Christmas. You don't realize until far after the fact just how much you miss something in your life. Um, and I used to watch Monster Vision religiously. It was a staple of my evenings uh, on Saturday. And I loved it to death. It was my, it was my, my rock. And, uh, You know, it, when it went away, I was just kind of, okay. You know, I didn't realize that I needed it till I needed it. And him coming back through Shudder, you know, for the last drive-in, um, which is kind of the only way to watch any of those movies on Shutter now is since they have it broken down. You don't have to watch the entire marathon to watch a specific movie. You can just go in there and boop, and uh, uh, it's sometimes it's the only way to watch some of these movies. And um, I love Sleepaway Camp, but 
it's so much better when Joe Bob's talking about it and when Felicia Rose is there. Um, so that, uh, that's great. Um, he's the only, only reason Daughters of Darkness was watchable. Um, but this last one, the very Joe Bob Christmas, was all Phantasm movies, and that's great. And a lot of people were expecting Christmas movies, and a lot of people lost their minds because it wasn't Christmas movies. And uh, uh, I'm sorry to those people, but when I put on Joe Bob, and The Last Drive-In now, as it's called, I'm kind of not there for the movie. I'm kind of there for him. He uh, now don't get me wrong. I love the Phantasm movies, all of them. But his commentary and his jokes and his banter are make things so much more enjoyable. Um. Uh, and he also turned me on to f- films I have never seen before, heard of but never seen, like Tourist Trap. I love that movie now. Uh, or Pieces, the Italian, the American movie made by Italians via America. It's hard to explain. He does a way better job explaining it than I do. Um, but yeah, it's it's just uh, so much fun to watch that stuff. So if you don't have Shudder, uh, you can get a seven-day trial. And this is not a paid endorsement, uh, but I do love the, the, the service. Um and, and you can check out Joe Bob Briggs if you haven't before, if you haven't seen Monster Vision, if you haven't seen the uh, uh, the drive-in show um, over on the movie channel, you know, Joe Bob's Drive-In uh, Theater. And um, uh, But there's also clips on YouTube of him just doing like host segments from TNT or the movie channel. Um, you can check that out, but I highly, you got to watch him with the movie. It's just, there's something about it that is magical. Um, and he was a guest on my show, but I would have played that one. I might, I might even try and re-edit it for, for, uh, the the final year, the final show of the year, but we'll see what happens. Um, because sometimes life gets in the way. Um, but, uh, I do want to thank anybody who has listened and please, if you have listened to the show, get in contact with me at show at ron.world show at ron.world. Send me an email, hit me up on Twitter at real Ron uh, and let me know that you're listening to the program. Um, otherwise I'm doing this for, um, a box of comics and they aren't a very good audience. But let's get right into it. I'm not going to interrupt anymore. It's going to go from Kelly Carlin to Ray Wise. So let's get right into Kelly Carlin. You're listening to the Ron Pertee Show. And uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. All right. So how are we going? So, so before we get really rolling here, I have to ask this question. You grew up with one of the most anti-established, the biggest anti-establishment icon in the, in the last, say, 10, 15, 20 years as a father. Growing up, when you hit your rebellious rebellious time as a teenager how many times did you try to apply for the young republican club (laughs) yes that would have been the only way i would have rebelled in my family uh yeah nope uh didn't uh didn't manage to get around to their meetings very often strangely enough 
Well, when they're when they're uh, you know in a secret uh, hole in the ground, and you have to have a certain knock and uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yes, uh, that's see, that's why they never invited me. Bastards. Yes. Bastards. Now I know it's been a long time coming trying to get you on the program, but I'm glad we finally have you. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's truly an honor. It's a, it's all it's all all the pleasure and joy is on this side. I promise you. <laughs> and uh, now uh, you've been working on the book. Now is the uh, Carlin Home Companion is that kind of is it based on your one person show? Well, since my one person show is based on my life, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's you know I took the scaffolding of the show. I mean, I'd already had a lo- outline for the memoir because I started working on it about eight years ago. Um, and so, I, I mean, I had an outline. I did another solo show in 1999. So I, you know, really thought about, you know, kind of a lot of these stories and kind of the arc of my narrative and all of that. So, but yes, I did. It was helpful to have this solo show up and running and, and active in my consciousness in order to pull from and then to really, you know, flesh out moments that were in the show much larger. And then, of course, be able to go into areas of my life that only got one or two sentences in the show because it just you just don't have enough time when you're on on stage. So I'm assuming this is going to be like a 1500 page book. Uh, as of today, it's 335 pages. Well, I can't wait to have it on my bookshelf. <laughs> Thank and you. We were talking about this before. It's going to take them a year. And is there? Do you have a lot of people clamoring to read this book? Because I assume that you would, considering what it's about. I uh, yes, I do. I do. A, a lot of people are like, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm also really thrilled and touched and humbled by the list of comedians who are actually reading the book this month. And going to be giving me a little blurb for it. So um, I'm just. Anybody that you can name or? Uh, well, I just got Margaret Cho's blurb today, oh, and really? uh, Gary Shandling's reading it, and uh, Kevin Pollock, and uh, Drew Carey, and oh, just a list, a lovely, lovely list of men and women who I adore and look up to. And um, like I said, I'm I'm kind of like amazingly. Like, <laughs> these people are reading my book, but I'm trying not to think about that too much and uh, just breathing. But I'm very excited. Now, you're still doing the, the solo show, right? I am. I haven't. I have not performed it since last year this time. I will be uh, putting it up again in uh, late January, all February at the Falcon Theater here in Los Angeles. I'm doing a five-week run at their theater. They're producing it. And I'll be doing 25 shows in five weeks. I've never done anything like that in my life in any form. So I'm terrified and yet looking forward to this particular creative challenge. And uh, and also, you know, looking to see where the show goes. We're basically doing this show to see if there's any interest um, from theaters around the country, um, you know, performing art centers, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, we're kind of using it as a a place to to get interest so we'll see we'll see if anyone else has any interest um and hopefully so because the book will be coming out in the fall and then i could start touring it in the fall and you know i'd be dealing with my parents uh a a lot more in my future (laughs) (laughs) now you uh are uh you have the uh the carlin's corner on sirius xm yes which you can only get online 
You can. You can yeah, if you have a serious if you have an XM device, you get it. Um, and that's there's only a few of those though. And yes, the online subscribers can um, absolutely hear it. It's I think it's it's channel 400. Is that something that uh, that ser- that they approached you about? Do setting uh, up yeah. Yeah, they did, actually. Um, right after my dad died, I <clears throat> met with the guy who was running the comedy division there at Sirius, and he wanted to definitely do something with me, a project with me. And then um, they started this new thing where they were, like, you know, dedicating whole channels, of, especially musicians, Um and music, and we were the first comedy channel where they decided to do that. And so, yeah, they came to us and uh, and also said, you know, they wanted me to have my own show on it, which I do, which is the Kelly Carlin show. And um, so, yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's great. I'm glad my dad gets to be there, and uh, people who need a hit of George can you know click on the station twenty four seven and and uh, and get a hit of my dad. I gotta say that that Carlin's Corner and the Sinatra Channel. Uh, along with Howard 100 and Howard 101, are the only things that are actually set in to the <laughs> my internet browser one. Because uh, my, nice. car, my car is all over the place, but uh, but those are the only ones that are actually set in there. So, That's great. Yeah, and uh, now you uh, also do um, Waking from the American Dream, which is a Smodcast um, podcast. Yes. And now, did Kevin approach you for that, or is this just? I mean, were you doing that beforehand? I'm because when it comes when we start diving really far back, things get a little muddled in my eyes. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm getting old. I don't know. But uh, did he approach you about this, or is this a show that you had? And he said, "Hey, you know, bring it on over here." It's it's a show I had. I was on another network, and I'd been on it for about a year, and was ready to take the show to a bigger platform. And I was actually at Kevin's house. Uh, doing his podcast, his morning show with Jen. And um, and at the end of it, I said, you know, well, what does it take to get onto Smodcast? And he goes, well, since I'm in charge of it, it just basically takes me saying so. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I'd love for my podcast to be part of Smodcast. And he said, done. Such hoops and- to, to jump through. I know, I know. It was very painful. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's like family. He's someone who obviously, you know, his creative life was very much shaped by my dad. And uh, my dad loved doing his films. Um, And then when I finally got to meet Kevin after my dad died and, and connect with him, it was just clear we were just, you know, very simpatico and, you know, brother and sister kind of material. And uh, so it's it's lovely to be part of the Smodcast family. Did now did the first time you met him was was that at the the tribute? Um, which tribute? Where Louis, the, where Louis got up there and was supposed to be funny and just yes. yeah, yeah, yes. That was the first time I met Kevin. Yes, that was a that was a great that was a great tribute. I gotta say. I mean, I wish I wish it, we didn't have to watch it. You know. <laughs> yeah, but, of course, but of it course. Was, uh, it was it was great, and and uh, it's just seeing how he affected so many people's lives. Um, I'm, I'm sure yours included. Uh, yeah. considering yeah. considering you know i think you guys i think you have a personal connection to him i don't know maybe <laughs> yes definitely but now did he ever try and get you to go up on stage and perform because i know for a while there at some one point you wanted to become a therapist yeah um no my dad was really hands-off with me when it came to what i wanted to do with my life he had a very um imposing controlling mother who 
you know, wanted to shape my dad into some sort of um, Madison Avenue executive or something like that. And my dad, of course, rebelled against that from day one. Um, So my dad was, you know, very laissez-faire when it came to to parenting in that way. He he always um, laughed at my jokes and certainly felt I was a good writer and and all of that. But he he discouraged me from the stand-up comedy life because it's a very lonely, difficult life on the road. And, um, you know, I had, I and my mother had paid the price for that, as, as my dad did, but we especially as family had paid the price. Um, and, you know, and he he tried to protect me from, from showbiz on some levels. But, um, you know, we did some acting together and, and some writing. And um, so, you know, he he always accepted that I wanted to do those kinds of things. Um, but you know, some of the stuff I did made him uncomfortable when I for did my first solo show in 99, it was my personal story and that was difficult for him because some of my personal story is about my, both my parents' drug addiction and alcoholism in my, when I was a child and, but it's part of my story. Um, and you know, so some of that was just difficult for him. So he, you know, he didn't really encourage or discourage. He just kind of stood by the side and and smiled and and let me know that he loved me and thought I was brilliant and talented, but but didn't do anything. And and then after the solo show, part of it was, you know, his discomfort with that. And, and it was a direction that I really wanted to take my life into, but I wasn't sure about it. And that's when I um, decided to go and get my um, master's in psychology. And it wasn't really because I wanted to become a therapist, but I was very fascinated with the stuff that this particular graduate school taught, which was, uh, Joseph Campbell's mythology and Carl Jung's psychological psychology. And there was a lot of art and creativity in the school and you could do art projects for, for finals and things like that. So, um, I really went there to feed my art, but it was a master's in counseling psychology and you know, so I, I have a I have a solid plan B in life. You know, if I ever if I ever need to to rely on something to make a living, I can certainly rely on that. Oh, definitely. Now, what is it about that particular um, school of psychology that really drew you in? Uh, I th- I think it really is that there's an acknowledgement of the sacred or spiritual aspect of humanity without it being um, religious or even theistic. Um, you know, I mean, Joseph Campbell was a man who really explained to the world that, you know, every religion is based on these kind of, you know, collective unconscious archetypal themes and that there's something in the human, um, you know, mind, body, soul, spirit that, that, you know, needs, uh, this kind of looking for meaning and seeking for meaning in life. So, and and I my whole life was shaped that way. I mean, that's the way my dad lived his life. My mom too, and that's kind of the way my worldview has been. So it it really fit into my my understanding of the world. And I was very interested in just in basically in the human journey. How do we how do we shape into the humans and the adults that we are? What affects us? What you know? What is our what is our path? What is you know, what, what are we here to do? What's, what is our meaning? And that stuff really fascinates me. And, um, and I felt that that school, you know, Jungian psychology and the mythology stuff and the storytelling and the art making really all supported being able to stand and ask the big questions of life. I'm, I'm a person who's a seeker. I ask the big questions and I'm curious 
and and I like bringing original and different, you know, points of view and perspectives to the big questions we all ask. So, I mean, that's something in particular my dad just, you know, gave to me directly is this ability to see the world from a slightly different angle and and to hold kind of the really big the big vision for it, you know, the bird's eye view. And um and and I love that that I have that and and that's kind of what I feel like my job is. Now, uh, you're also, um, I'm not sure how to put it, you're a Buddhist. I am. I've studied Zen Buddhism. Mm -hmm. I'm a practicing meditator. I am, uh, I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist because most Buddhists don't really call themselves that because there's really, there's no dogma, there's no God. It's, It's really a perspective. I mean, the Tao is very much, you know, part of that perspective. And it's, you know, it's really understanding that there's, there's two aspects to every human. There's the personal aspect, and then there's the transpersonal. And um, you know, and I I like the fact that I can sit in a meditative state and connect to the transpersonal aspect of myself, and then at the same time, you know, come back into my personality and my body and um, go make some scrambled eggs and watch X Factor. <laughs> Uh, gotta love scrambled eggs, but <laughs> not so much the X Factor. Now, so do you? Are you? Are you into TM and stuff like that? Then? No, never been into TM. No, I was not trained that way. I was trained in Vipassana meditation, uh, which is much more sitting with the breath, watching the the thoughts go by, uh, watching the mind work. I don't. I don't do chanting. I don't have a mantra. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. But. I mean, it's all trying to get you to the same, you know, connect to the same aspect of self, which is the the part of us that's bigger than the ego part of our personality. Right. You know, the part the part of us that's bigger than our identity of I. Well, there you go. See, it's just you answered my my second que- my other que- my follow up question about the whole God thing. You know, because I always get confused about that kind of thing, and I never either. I'm too lazy to, to use the Google machine, <laughs> or I just. I'd rather hear it from somebody who's actually practicing and they can explain everything to me. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Um, now, this might, I don't know if this is going to be a difficult question for you to answer, but you are the, basically, you're the keeper of his legacy. Yes. Okay. How often do people misquote him on certain topics and what kind of uh, emotion comes out of you when you see that when, And especially when they use it for the totally the wrong thing. Oh, you you obviously follow me on Facebook and, um, and Twitter. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this is an ever evolving relationship I have is with my father and his legacy and his life um, online and after his death. It's you know, it's ever evolving. So, yeah, I mean. I you know what at the beginning I really felt like it was my job to police um, people and to school them and and you know if it comes my way and I and I and I've kind of put I've put that down a bit because it's exhausting and I have my own life to live and I'm 51 and I'm really not interested in spending whatever uh, decades left I have on this planet with, um, you know, having to be on top of that all the time. But that said, if it comes my way and someone brings it to my attention or there's something really egregious about it, um, I, you know, I'll either send the lawyers after them or I'll send the fans after them, (laughs) which was, you know, what I used earlier in the year when some neocon, 
a fascist organization on their Facebook page had rewritten my father's words and took out the words big business and put in the words government instead. Oh. Um, I sent the fans after them. And um, that was, that was like really satisfying. Like any, you know, any need to get, you know, to have revenge or um, any, um, you know, any reason that I needed to kind of exercise or tap into my rage. That was a good week for that. But yeah, so it's, you know, right now I've let it all go in some ways. I'm, I'm really like happy being done with this. Writing this book is like a huge turning point for me. I feel like I've can kind of let that all that go and let my dad and his fame and his persona on the, in the world kind of just be what it is and just renew my own relationship with my, with my parents and my life in my own way. Well, uh, sending the fans after them is also sometimes worse than sending the lawyer. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I mean, especially on social media. I mean, that's what it's all about. I still have people, you know, when something goes wrong, you know, oh, well, I wonder what George would say about that. Yes, you yes, know. sure, sure. I mean, you I know. mean, uh, yeah, I'm would be so curious to see what he would think about this world that has changed so much in the last six years since he died. I mean, social media has really changed the nature of our of our American life and the, the global life. And uh I would be fascinated to to see what he'd have to say about it all. And you have coming up here on the twenty second the uh, uh, the dedication, I guess you could call it, uh, yes. of uh, George Carlin Way. And now that's right by a church, isn't it? It it is. It's actually by. So my dad grew up on the five hundred block of West one hundred and twenty first Street, which is between um, Amsterdam and Broadway. And on that block, just a few doors up from where he lived and grew up was uh, Corpus Christi, where my dad went to elementary school and where he loved his elementary school. It was very progressive in the 40s. And um, his mother went to church there. I was baptized in that church. That was the last time I went to church. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, my dad, the, the school he writes about and the times he writes about in Class Clown and the neighborhood in, in that he talks about in Occupation Fool is that block, is that neighborhood. So, but Corpus Christi um, decided that uh, they were not, <laughs> they didn't want to sign with my dad's name on the block. I mean, even if it was going to be like way on the other side of the block, um, because they felt that little kids from the elementary school were going to come out and see his name on the sign and wonder who he was and then look him up. And then they'd get a huge dose of truth and uh, probably that. probably not be happy with the church anymore. So um, it's it's really it's so hypocritical because I mean, father Rafferty was someone who met my dad a few times. I think my dad even did a fundraiser for the elementary school at one point, you know, so it's a bunch of BS. So we're just right across the street on Amsterdam and the 400 block. And, um, yeah, we're going to just, you know, we're going to have it on our corner and, uh, you know, we, we know, we, and we know the real story. So that's cool. Now, uh, getting back to the, the you know, Carlin Home Companion, are you going to be releasing that at all? Or has it been released out on DVD and Blu-ray and stuff like that? No, I think we're going to, you know, see how this goes this next year. Um, you know, once I do my run at the Falcon and then see if it can get some traction out there. Um, and then I know eventually we will, you know, uh, hopefully release it on something. I mean, it would be it would be great to record it and, you know, show it on HBO or something like that. I mean, that would be an honor to be on my dad's, you know, home, home stage in some ways. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I figure, you know, if, if it gets some traction or not, I mean, either way, 
I know the fans really, really want to see it and they've been clamoring. And, and I would love to go to every market my dad ever went to in his career, you know, because I really believe that this solo show in some ways is, I call it personally, the George Carlin farewell tour. Um, I think it's a closure for fans. Um, and I, you know, he traveled and got to go to see his fans every 18 to 24 months around the country at these different towns and cities. And, and I think it's a nice way to, you know, kind of to, for them to be able to say goodbye to him. And also, of course, to, to meet all of him while they're, while they're saying goodbye to him. Yeah, I, I would, uh, I've never had a chance to actually see him live. Uh, just yeah. like just on HBO and stuff like that. Right. And, uh, you need to come to Wisconsin, damn it. I would love to come to Wisconsin. Wisconsin I'll buy is you beautiful. <laughs> and I'll keep you safe from the serial killers. Maybe I can come to Milwaukee and get arrested like my dad did. There you go. Just get up on stage and start cursing. <laughs> Going to, on the stage of Summerfest. Oh, you know what? Summerfest has gotten so bad lately. Uh, that's it, what I've heard. Yeah, it's just so, so bad. But it's, yeah. it, it was kind of, a, in, a, in a weird way, It is. It, it's, it's a weird honor to be like, yep, we're the idiots who arrested Carlin. Yep. <laughs> That was us. Yep, yep you were. Yep. That's, that's just fantastic. Well, Kelly, I thank you so much. You can follow Kelly at, uh, at Kelly underscore Carlin on Twitter. On Facebook, it's Kelly Carlin Official. I want to thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to have you back. It was a role. It was a pleasure, an honor, a privilege, and I can come up with a bunch of other words, but I won't. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ron. It was, it was, a, it was a pleasure for me, too, and uh, uh, you have a great day. The following is made possible by Dad. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling all over it. <laughs> the Dad Joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. Why do you have to be careful when it's raining cats and dogs? Because you might step in a poodle. <laughs> and kids that spend more time with their dads grow up to be smarter, more successful. Can I tell you a cat joke? Just kidding. <laughs> and with any luck, funnier adults. Why didn't the skeleton go to the dance? Because he didn't have anybody to go with. Dad jokes rule. So take a moment to make a moment and give your kid a laugh. <laughs> it's as easy as going to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. <laughs> That's really funny. For you... The listeners of The Ron Pertee Show, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recommend Pedal Your Own Canoe by Nick Offerman, read by Nick Offerman. It's just amazing to hear him uh, read the book and add little things here and there. It's just fantastic. And there's just Amy Poehler's got one, Tina Fey. If you're a fan of comedy, a fan of autobiographies, definitely Definitely some stuff to check out. Uh, so head over to download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Ron Show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash Ron Show for your free audiobook. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food. 
Because this ad is trying to change the world's behaviour through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food! And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food! Cha-ching! It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food! Cha-ching! And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food! Cha-ching! So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behaviour. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Ray, I want to thank you so much for, for being on the program. This is actually quite a big deal for me. Really? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're the reason my TiVo blew up. Because <laughs> I put your name in and it just exploded. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I try to stay busy, Ron. Well, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, uh, for for people who don't know, uh, you were Leland Palmer, uh, you were you were um, Nash and, and uh, RoboCop, and it's, I had Peter on before, so that's this is kind yeah. of this this is a good thing. Uh, you, you've you know like Jeepers Creepers, and now Reaper, which is what we're here to talk about a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. When you first got the script to play the devil. Uh, what, what, what was going through your head? Oh, my. A uh, hundred thoughts. Uh, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I read it and I thought it was, I thought it was very funny, very well written, very witty, uh, kind of a, you know, hip, had that, had a good vibe to it, to me. And, uh, and then I thought, you know, this is, this would be a great, great character to play and, and to develop if, if it goes further. And, uh, and of course I, found out that Kevin Smith was going to direct the pilot episode and and just everything looked looked great about it and I, and I came in at the end of the of the casting process I think they'd seen like over 100 actors for the role of the devil and even some that had played the devil before and um, and uh didn't find you know exactly what they wanted and until I apparently until I walked into the room and I did this uh a little scene in the kitchen where I'm making a chicken fried steak, and uh, and they really like that. And uh, a couple of days later, they uh, I were signing contracts. Well, there you go. And I gotta say, you are by far my favorite devil. Oh, thank you. I think thank I, you. You Pacino has nothing on you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I saw his devil. Yeah, I thought it was you know okay, a bit over the top, but. Uh, and I, you know, and I, I, I did a lot of research. I saw a lot of different devils in, in movies. Um, you know, going all the way back to Walter Houston and the Devil and Daniel Webster, with great, great devil. He was very impish devil. Oh, you know, uh, had a had a glint in his eye that was unmistakable. And um, and then of course uh, the other, you know, even like Jack Nicholson and the Witches of Eastwick uh, and Ray Walston and and the great musical Damn Yankees on Broadway. Uh, Another a different kind of a devil, and, but I wanted mine to be set apart from all of them. So I decided that this guy was going to be uh, he was going to be you know, have a great sense of humor, and he he was going to be like a cross between a a really good used car salesman and a talk show host, and <laughs> kind kind of a, a you know, the next door neighbor you want to hang out with and have a barbecue with, and uh, 
and it makes you feel good when you're around him. You want to spend time with him. And I thought that'd be the best kind of devil to be. And to, you know, that's the way you get people on your side. And uh, and so that's how I approached the, the role. And, it, and it, it, you also kind of added a little bit of a Rat Pack type of feel to it. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very sartorially uh, dressed. You know, it's resplendent, and uh, it had that Rat Pack feel. You could, you could, uh, you could just feel that kind of Sinatra, Dean Martin vibe running through it. Yeah. That was a, that was a, the the best part about it, I think. And you've just been on. I'm pretty sure everything uh, under the sun. I mean, um, most recently, I think, and uh, you know, you do play a lot of the the rougher characters. Um, but yeah. uh, most recently, I think people you know who don't wouldn't know it that you uh, were on How I Met Your Mother, and you were playing. I can't pronounce the last name. Shabatsky. Yes, Shabatsky. Yes. Yeah, Shabatsky. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're playing Robin Senior. Uh, I'm Robin Senior, and I have been for yeah, like about for five or six episodes already, and. Uh, and it's great fun to do that show. Is, that, is, it, is it much going? Is it? I mean, because even with Reaper, I mean, you you were playing the devil, so there was some kind of um, some drama to the character in and in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Now, going mm-hmm. from stuff like that to straight comedy, is there anything in your mind you have to kind of switch off? Uh, and not not really switch off. I think you have to switch on a little bit more when you're doing those when you're doing those half hour uh, sitcoms. You have to. Um, it it's very well written, but it's structured in such a way that you have to be a little bit bigger than you would be in in normal life, you know, a little bit bigger than I I, I would have been on on Reaper. Um, it's just a question of of turning up the the juice, the volume a little bit, and um, uh, it's a question of degree, really. You know, but uh, you have to be a little bit bigger for those half hour shows. Right now, when there's a big rumor going around. And when it comes to Twin Peaks, and this is kind mm-hmm. of an old rumor, but this is the first chance I'm getting to speak to you, so that they were talking okay. about uh, another season. Well, you know what? I was just with David Lynch uh, about a, a week and a half ago. They honored him uh, down at this art museum down in Newport Beach, and uh, I went down for the tribute, and uh, we sat we sat together for about three hours and just talked about everything under the sun, and. Um, and he did happen to say, uh, well, Ray, you know, uh, the town is still there. And uh, I suppose it's possible that we could uh, revisit it. Uh, of course, uh, you're already dead, your character, Leland. But we could maybe work around that. <laughs> I think anything is possible in the world of Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. Right. In the world of David Lynch, you know, everything is possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, uh, I just, it's so, so great to have, uh, have someone like you on the show. It's like, I haven't, uh, I've had some pretty amazing characters on here, but uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I mean, it, you, uh, you were in the aggression scale, and uh, Stephen Miller's kind of a friend of mine. Oh uh, yeah, Stephen, yeah. sure, and, yeah. And the minute I saw you come up on screen, I'm like, oh well, all right, well this is worth watching. Hey, you know what? I and I, I uh, I've been in Wisconsin uh, a couple of times in the last couple of years. I and I, I was in Madison doing this show for Hulu called Battleground, all about a senatorial campaign in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, I played the campaign manager on, on in that show in that series. It ran like about thirteen episodes on Hulu, and uh, and I also did a film um, that was shot in Milwaukee. Um, 
called uh, No God, No Master. Really? Um, yeah, all about the uh, Sacco and Benzetti case uh, oh. back in the early 20s. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and they, and they, uh, they used a lot of local people up there in Milwaukee, and uh, they they got together all the old cars in the tri-state area and uh, all these old 1918 cars and driving around the streets, and we were all in, all in costume, and it was great. I, I played the Attorney General of the United States in that one. And uh, so I have a history with Wisconsin. I, 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 lo- I love that state. It's a great place. Well, you're from the Midwest to begin with. Yeah, Ohio, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's, uh, I know, um, from what I understand, this is what my father told me, that my hmm. last name, if you go to Wisconsin, there's like maybe two, three in the entire state. If you go down to, say, Cincinnati, I want to say Cincinnati, and you look my last name up in the phone book, there's more than Smith, which is scary. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, and, um, now when you, you're actually, you've been on Holliston, which is another, uh, FearNet show. Yeah, another FearNet show, yeah, uh huh. And you worked with, uh, we worked with Adam and Joe on, uh, Chillerama as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, good old Adam Green and Joe, yeah. That's just, that's, uh, so much to go through in so little time. <laughs> I know, I know, um, man. We could, we could talk for hours. We probably could. Now, and there's, uh, something I asked Peter when he was on. What do you, What's your thoughts on the whole, uh, like how RoboCop is still, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, relevant today. Relevant, yeah. Well, yeah. I, in fact, uh, I, I was at the 25th anniversary, not uh, you know, se- uh, several months back, and uh, and uh, yeah, the auditorium was full. I believe we were at um, UCLA for that, and uh, yeah, somebody's always doing a retrospective on it or something, you know, or writing a term paper on it and it, it had it had quite a quite an impact and um and people still you know talk talk favorably about it today it's uh it it's one of those things that you know just uh caught everybody's imagination and and it started something and uh it's still going on you know well, that's fantastic, and I, I mean, it's yep. just watching it. it. It doesn't, it doesn't get old ever. And no, it holds up, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. And and the fact yeah. that the minute I heard they were making a remake, I was just like, oh, really? No. Oh yeah, that oh. we uh, we we really poo pooed that right? at the retrospective. We said uh, no, we don't want any part of that. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, and, and 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 I, I try not to bring it up to people because it's just a horrible thing. But the costume. It it looks yeah. like it looks like Batman's armor went through the starch too much. Yeah, there you go. And yeah, just that's just the way I'm gonna look at it from now on. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> they keep to you know everybody. They can't leave well enough alone. You know, when something's good, just leave it and do something else. Exactly. You know? Just start remaking bad keep, movies. Yeah, yeah that's I know. Let's do that. Um, some other yeah. thing, Mad Men. How was your experience on that? Oh, it's great. You know, it's like walking back in time. I, actually, I'm one of the a uh, few actors on that show that actually lived through the 60s. So, <laughs> so I know I know pretty much uh, what's going on. I know the feel of it. And, uh, you know, they got all the old clothes. They went to Western Costume and they got all these old suits. And uh, it's the real deal. They, uh, they in every detail on that set, uh, they, they try to keep it, uh, they try to keep it 60s. And uh, it, you really feel like you're walking back in time when you're working on that show. And, of course, it's so well written, you know, Matt Weiner's... Uh, He's a great writer, and uh, he's really hands-on with the show. And uh, and uh, my character, 
you know, I'm the CEO of uh, Dow Chemical. We make corningware and napalm, and <laughs> and uh, and I and I'm and I think and I'm hoping that uh, you know I'll be uh, on the last season of uh, Mad Men, and that they'll make uh, my character a little more prominent. Well, here's hoping that would be uh, that would be awesome. And you know, you mentioned uh, you were playing campaign manager, no god, no monster, or no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, in, no, in battle, in battle battleground, battleground, battleground. Yeah, yep. you were yep. also you're also the Secretary of State in X Men First Class. So you're just you're that's going, right. You're all was, over the yeah. place. Yeah, man, and I was uh, I was the Vice President on Twenty Four. Remember oh, that's that? Right. The fifth, yes. The fifth fifth season of Twenty Four, and then I was a Senator in that uh, uh, Sean Connery Wesley Snipes film uh, Rising Sun, and uh, so I've I've been every ma- I've been every manner of politician. <laughs> and uh ever think of running for office yourself? Uh no, that would be not uh not something that I would find exci- <laughs> exciting really. <laughs> uh no, I think playing the devil is as close as I ever want to get. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You you uh you really do kind of like hit the the have a, uh, a niche when it comes to the genre stuff because you were also Perry White in the Superman Doomsday cartoon or animated movie. Yes, uh-huh. It's uh do you enjoy doing stuff like that? I I I like the variety. I I like to do uh, I like to do as much as I can in different uh, mediums and then, you know, uh just I just like the variety. I like to be able to spread myself all over the sheet and uh and uh, just play different characters, different voices, and anything I can do, you know. I I just like to I just like to keep it going and stay busy. Well, that's a, that's an important thing. Now, yeah. um, there's one more movie I got to talk to you about real quick. Is that mm-hmm. as a, a film of mine that uh, you were in, uh, a film of yours that you were in? Wow! Uh, yeah, that, I'm gonna uh, say, uh, are we making movies together? Uh, hey, hey <laughs> you, you never know. But you, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there. <laughs> you played Don Hollenbeck <laughs> in uh, uh, Good Night and Good Luck, and I love that yeah. movie. It's what, probably one of my top ten favorite films. So, yeah, mine too. It's a it's a beautiful piece of work, you know that black and white film all about Edward R. Murrow during the you know the McCarthy trials uh, and uh, the McCarthy hearings and and Holland Beck was a great character and uh, and what a cast, man! That was a dream. That was a dream cast. Oh, I know, and, uh, and McCarthy, one of Wisconsin's uh, darker moments. Yeah, yeah, it really, it truly was. Um, I'm but not you know, sure without without yeah, without guys like him, you know, we wouldn't know really what the lighter moments are like. You know, so. that's that's very true. I, I sometimes I question what was worse, Je- worse Jeffrey Dahmer or uh, Joseph McCarthy, and I have to. Actually, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but now, yeah. before I let you go, because I know you're a busy, mm-hmm. busy guy, uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to Reaper, Reaper seems to be that kind of show that really kind of leaves an impression on the people who work on it, because it seems like. The the atmosphere is real lighthearted, and you got along with everybody, and there was never anything bad that happened. What what do you take away from an experience like like being on Reaper? Well, uh, it it really was. It was a it was a wonderful experience, and you know we uh, we all became very close. Uh, we enjoyed working with each other. We we love going to work every morning. It was just a it, it was just the best of all possible working situations, and. Uh, the scripts were good, you know. They were well written and funny and witty, and and uh, we it just had a good feel all the way around. And the only bad feeling was the feeling of cancellation. Yeah, that's got to. That was that when we were terminated abruptly by, uh, 
you know, the CW network in their great wisdom, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think we got, I don't think we quite fit their demographic. You know, we didn't have enough uh, gossip girls on the well, show. So. This is the same network that had 10, 10 seasons of a show about Superman and never actually showed the man playing Superman in the suit. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. You, you Smallville. Gotta, okay. You got to question yeah, their know. wisdom. So yep. it's not exactly, they're not exactly the brightest uh, knives in the drawer. Yeah, and I and I'm just thrilled that Fear, Fearnet is uh, is putting on Reaper and is sort of, uh, you know, giving all the fans a, a, a little taste of, of what it used to be like, and 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 who knows, maybe the possibility of doing more of Reaper in the future. So but hey, everybody's doing everything with Kickstarter now, so you never know. Yeah, I know, I know that could happen, and I would, I would, I'd play the devil again, and. Uh, in a, in a millisecond, uh, it wouldn't take me long to say yes. <laughs> All you could do is put on one of those one of those fancy suits, and you're good to go. Uh, it's in my closet right now. I can put it on <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Ray, it's been it's been a true pleasure to have you on, and we'll have to we'll have to have you on. A, a, we'll do a a bigger episode. Oh, please, I'd okay. love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>